1: I am Seth Liebson. Welcome back. Tuesday, June 14th, 2022. The newspapers just don't get it. The Arizona Republic, which is owned by the Gannett Corporation, announced a new op-ed editor about two weeks ago. The next thing they announced was that they were going to reduce op-eds and the days in which op-eds would run. This was followed by a general announcement about newspapers throughout the country that were owned by Gannett, and they were getting their reasoning all wrong. Gannett explained their changes this way. Quote, opinion pages are alienating readers and becoming obsolete. The company has been pushing for the cutbacks for years, and they become increasingly visible to readers since a committee of editors formally recommended them at a meeting in April. Readers don't want us to tell them what to think, the editors said. They don't believe we have the expertise to tell anyone what to think on most issues. They perceive us as having a biased agenda. Then they write, quote, Opinion pages began to appear widely in U.S. newspapers in the 19th century, and most papers have since built a code of ethics around them, including firewalls to prevent opinion columnists and editorial writers from influencing news reporters and news editors who often work in the same building. While news side journalists are generally discouraged from sharing their opinions on topics they cover, their opinion side counterparts can supplement their reports with analysis, commentary, political endorsements and sometimes regrettable hot takes on social Media. I'm sorry for the laughter. Steve Hayward noted, the Gannett committee, however, argued that the traditional model is confusing and repelling readers. But the last sentence gets to the heart of the matter. Most readers can't discern the difference between the news pages and the opinion pages of most newspapers. That's the issue. The Gannett story admits as much when it writes, "Young quote, younger readers, according to the company, often can't tell the difference between news reporting and opinion. Today's contemporary audiences frequently are unable to distinguish between objective news reporting and opinion content. Yeah, you think? And the news side of papers probably doesn't like the competition, which is acknowledged in the part of the sentence above that reads, quote, opinion-sided counterparts can supplement their reports with analysis, commentary, political endorsements, and sometimes regrettable hot takes on social media. Actually, lots of news side reporters give hot takes on social media, like Felicia Sonmez, for example, or Maggie Haberman at The New York Times. Gannett lost $670 million in 2020 and $135 million last year. Meanwhile, the Wall Street Journal editorial page still helps that paper sell subscriptions. And that's not fake news. You'd think there might be a lesson in this, but not to the morons trying to preserve the media equivalent of buggy whips. I think Barry Weiss has this all down quite well. You'll recall she's the former New York Times editorialist who resigned because, though a liberal, she couldn't take the woke progressive Leninism anymore. She put it this way. To finally leave, old media required me to confront some realities. Among them, the Washington Post is not the same place that broke Watergate. And the New York Times isn't the same place that got the Pentagon Papers. It's not that the excellent old-school reporters aren't there. Some are. They just can't control the culture. Partly, that's because of weakness and cowardice at the top of the masthead. Partly, it's because you can pretty much guarantee the kind of worldview you're going to get when you hire journalists pedigreed by Harvard and Brown and Yale. They tend to think almost exactly the same way about almost everything. And Twitter only reinforces the group think. So whether the staffers and editors at places like The Times and The Post ignored the riots summer 2020 while genuflecting to the lunatic idea that op-eds are violence because they were true believers in the new dogma or because they were careerists or because they were just plain scared only meant that some of them broke your heart more than others. As people like Barry Weiss are building new formats like Substack where they get great journalists – including people like Alex Berenson and others. Look at CNN+, which shut down after just 21 days. The streamer hyper nonstop CNN project spent $300 million for those 21 days. That's $14 million plus per day. One problem is, of course, overabundance. Just too many outlets competing for the same eyeballs. But there's too little of is the unignorable problem. Trust. A huge and growing audience of Americans no longer believes the stories the establishment media tells. It's been building for years, decades maybe, and now that skepticism, that irritation with the liberal press, has morphed into a gag reflex. Tens of millions of readers and watchers who once took for granted that you could more or less depend on the Times or CBS or CNN to report the facts to give it to you straight. Just don't think that anymore. Their breaking points were different. Maybe it was dismissing the Trump phenomenon as a joke or calling the lab leak theory misinformation. Maybe it was seeing reporters act like mean girls on social media. The upshot is they lost our trust. This loss is nothing to celebrate. I would love to live in a world where I trust what I read in a newspaper. I'm not betting on things changing soon. However, and neither are other Americans who have started to find people to trust in like in unlikely places. And while it's true that Joe Rogan and the newsletter crowd don't yet own the cultural high ground, there is some hope. People made fun of Joe Rogan, especially when it came to COVID. And he turned out to be more right about more things regarding COVID than the CDC was advising. More right than fancy titled doctors who would lord credentials over us while acting as lords. Recall how Professor Brad Watson defines progressivism. He writes, the progressive idea, simply put, is that the principled American constitutionalism of fixed natural rights and limited and dispersed powers must be overturned and replaced by an organic evolutionary model of the Constitution that facilitates the authority of experts dedicated to the expansion of the public sphere and political control, especially at the national level. The major application being that some individuals stand outside the democratic process, an elite class possessed of intelligence as a method who provide the messianic leadership needed to move the process smoothly along, all while declaiming against cults or blaming their skeptical dissenters as members of a cult. Speaking of people who claim the Republican Party is a cult, I received another fundraising email from Nancy Post, The Gift That Keeps On Giving. A treasure trove. By the way, trove is a great word. It's from the French, meaning to find. Anyway, your Speaker of the House wrote me this today. Quote, I am through with Republicans thinking they can trample our democracy with their dangerous lies and misinformation. I will not allow them to regain power in Congress if it takes everything I have left to stop them. But here's what I need from you. Before my midnight deadline in 13 hours, I need blah, 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 fundraising. Okay, just so I understand it, this is the same Nancy Pelosi who created and is touting the January 6th hearings, the point of which is to show how a mad crowd took Donald Trump's words to a violent end. What words? Well, they don't highlight. In fact, they edit out and he lied that Donald Trump told supporters to march peacefully and patriotically. Instead, they say his big lie that the election was fraudulent caused the uprising query in a country of 331 million people there were some 860 arrests two ten thousandths of one percent the president speaks he tells people to march peacefully and two miles away before he's done talking 860 or so people breached the capital and he's responsible but not because he said march peacefully because they believed what he believed which was that the election was fraudulent Nobody wanted to arrest any leaders who spoke of the police as racist or wore pigs as cops on their socks. No, they got Nike contracts or claimed our entire country was systematically racist when they tended to fire bombings and riots throughout the country that killed over two dozen people and led to the arrest of 14,000 people, not 860, and billions of dollars worth of property damage. How could they arrest them? Those leaders had names like Biden and Harris and Pelosi. Their irresponsible rhetoric and the worst violence that attended it or took place in its name is forgiven or a distraction. But here we are as the January 6th hearings are taking place in real time over supposedly irresponsible rhetoric. And Nancy Pelosi is writing to the public that I am through with Republicans thinking they can trample our democracy with their dangerous lies and misinformation. I will not allow them to regain power if it takes everything I have left to stop them. And don't forget her conclusion, quote, these dangerous Republicans should never set foot in the halls of Congress again. Close quote. Abraham Lincoln once asked, Are all the laws to go unenforced but one? The thing is there is no law to enforce here. It's been invented. How do I know it was invented? Aside from no court in the country finding Trump's speech within 500 miles of incitement under the First Amendment, Hillary, Nancy, Chuck, Kamala, Elizabeth Warren and a whole slew of Democrats spent four and a half years saying the same and worse about the Republicans. But to give Lincoln some moment here, an ex an post facto invented law must go enforced against one party over the issue of irresponsible speech. But ex post facto laws, like freedom of speech, are part of the Constitution and forbidden. The thing Lincoln saved, the Constitution, and the Democrats care little about anything in that document or Lincoln, hence trash the First Amendment, hence trash ex post facto laws. What is Pelosi's view of government and democracy and legitimate speech? Anything goes. Let people do what they do, if and only if it serves one side. Hell of a view of democracy, that. My opponents are dangerous. Not wrong, she says. Dangerous. So dangerous, she writes, I will do anything in my power to stop them. Stop them from what? Stop them, she says, from ever setting foot in our body of Congress again. Boy, I sure hope that kind of rhetoric doesn't get someone killed. More so, I hope everyone understands that if we Republicans said about Democrats what they say about us, the phrase for it would be demagogic extremism or tyranny. And almost every commentator on cable to network would say Republicans are declaring war against democracy. Since the Democrats are doing it, though, there is no war. This is the coin of the realm they and the media have created. You can call the Republicans anything you want, and it's fine and protected, and good for fundraising. A one-party state where the party can commit no crime and the opposition is a criminal enterprise, thus illegitimate to govern or exist or ever step foot in Congress. How did Shakespeare have it with Richard and Anne and her dead father-in-law and Richard III? Say that I slew them not. Then say they were not slain, but dead they are, and devilish slave by thee. What we are watching with the new rules, the rules that only apply to one side with exacting exquisitude and against the other as if there were no rules at all, is what William Buckley would have called a profanation of democracy. I show you the times. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. If you're looking for a great and unique investment opportunity, check out my friends at Y-Refi. Look them up at investyrefi.com. What they're offering is a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10.25% for investors in a secure and collateralized portfolio. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm run by really good people who are doing really well by helping others. And you can be To local company. You can visit them. You won't get a sales pitch. They'll just talk about what they do. And I think you'll like it as much as I did when I heard them tell us what they do. Again, check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y.com or call them at 855-316-3087. Two things to celebrate today. It's both flag day and the birthday of the United States Army. Let me just as a um issue on the flag, I'll say I'll have said something uh yeah, let me say something about the Army. I, so many friends served in it. Oh my gosh. I mean, I just Don, Bill, so many of you. Duty on our country. Duty on our country. When Douglas MacArthur gave that speech, he said to folks at West Point, he said, This does not mean you are warmongers. On the contrary, the soldier above all other people prays for peace, for he must suffer and bear the deepest wounds and scars of war. But always in our ears ring the ominous words of Plato, the wisest of all philosophers. Only the dead have seen the end of war. The shadows are lengthening for me, MacArthur said. The twilight is here. My days of old have vanished, tone and tint. They have gone glimmering through the dreams of things that were Their memory is one of wondrous beauty watered by tears and coaxed and caressed by the smiles of yesterday. I listen vainly, but with thirsty ears, for the witching melody of faint bugles blowing reveille, far drums beating the long roll. In my dreams I hear again the crash of guns, the rattle of musketry, the strange, mournful mutter of the battlefield. But in the evening of my memory, always I come back to West Point. Always their echoes and re-echoes duty, honor, country. Today marks my final roll call with you, but I want you to know that when I cross the river, my last conscious thoughts will be of the Corps and the Corps and the Corps. I bid you farewell. I bid you all thank you who soothed in the Army. We are, as John Stuart Mill once put it, kept safe by the exertions of better men than ourselves. We are all kept safe by the exertions of better people than myself. I know that. And I thank you, whether you are in any of the branches of our service. This is a show that um, honors, respects, and thanks you. I don't know if it does so more than any other, but I would like it to be up there as the one you think of that respects and honors and thanks you as much, at least, as any other. All right. I am Seth Leibson. Andy McCarthy is coming right up. He of National Review. He, the former federal prosecutor. As we go to break, let me put in a word for my friends at Cool Touch, air conditioning, heating and plumbing. 17 years in business. Cool Touch has an A-plus rating with the BBB, has never received a complaint with the ROC. Chris Funk and his team are great people. I've used them for all their services, as have many of my friends, and they all think the same thing of them. Great company. They do what they say and they say what they'll do. Check them out at CoolTouchAC.com. That's CoolTouchAC.com or give them a call at 623-734-1932. I'm Seth Leibson and we will be right back.
2: Well, welcome back to The Seth
1: Liebson Show, one of my favorite people and longtime friends, Andrew C. McCarthy, senior fellow at National Review Institute, contributing editor at National Review and author of, among other books, Ball of Collusion, the Plot to Rig an Election and Destroy a Presidency, has a uh, important, really important piece At the Hill, I have long said about Andy, he's always answering the questions, the legal and abstruse questions that most of us actually have, but don't know where to turn to. I turn to Andy. Andy, thanks for joining us. I hope you're well, sir.
2: It's always a pleasure, Seth. Great to be with you.
1: You know, when I saw – thank you – when I saw that they were charging, that the January 6th and the Department of Justice were kind of charging and talking about sedition and seditious conspiracy – um, my mind turned exactly uh, and directly to you because I know that no one has dealt with sedition and those those laws uh, as much or seriously or even as successfully as you. So it's good to get your um, take on this in your piece, The Tale of Two Seditions over at the Hill. Tell us what you're driving at here, Andy.
2: Well, you know, I, I appreciate your reminding People of that stuff. I did prosecute the last successful um, big sedition case brought by the Justice Department uh, more years ago than either one of us <laughs> to remember. It does actually uh,
1: doesn't seem that long ago. Honest to God, I I anyway, maybe it does to you.
2: Yeah, 1995. Okay. long ago and, and far away. But in any event, um, when the Justice Department, after a long bit of hesitation and a lot of goading. From the left over the fact that it hadn't brought uh insurrection type charges in connection with the uh with the capital riot they were finally i thought goaded into indicting a seditious conspiracy case and i thought it was a terrible mistake because not that i think they're they're innocent i think there's plenty of charges that you could bring like uh obstruction of a congressional proceeding and assaulting police officers that would provide for decades if you needed it. Yeah. Risk of, uh, penal exposure potentially. So I didn't think they needed the 20 year seditious conspiracy sentence. And I, I thought conceptually it hurts their case because the, the seditious conspiracy statute has been on the book since the civil war. Right. The 1862 statute was intended mainly for, um, uh, anti-union uh, saboteurs in the um, uh, in a number of the states, um, and uh, the reason I, I thought it was a mistake for them is because we've never had a case in the history of our country with a statute that's been on the books now for almost two centuries, mm-hmm. uh, where the defendants could plausibly claim that they were acting at the behest of the president of the United States. You have to you have to prove in connection with the crime that they intended to make war on the United States or oppose the government's authority by force. And these guys will be able to claim that they thought that the president was calling them out like militias and they were trying to save the United States from people who were trying to steal the election. Now I'm not getting into whether that's all true, because it doesn't matter. What matters is they believed it. Right. So their intent is what matters in a criminal proceeding. So I I've taken, um, perverse pleasure in the fact that uh, since i've written that they've they've taken some uh, pleas in this case and the interesting thing is when you see the statement of facts that the justice department is having them admit to the only way they're able to pull off this case is to stay a million miles away from trump right so basically what they, they they argue is basically that trump is like a tangential figure who had very little to do with with january 6th. right and he's really in their minds a pretext For things that the Proud Boys and the oath keepers would have done anyway,
1: right? So So this is the real odd thing. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry,
2: I I, I don't think the Justice Department was going to get far with that theory if they have to actually try this case. Yeah, I can see how they can get guilty pleas because people at this point, a guilty plea with cooperation is what gets you out from under a long sentence. Right. If they they ask them to plead to, you know, uh, wearing a clown suit on Fifth Avenue, that's what they plead to, right? So Mm -hmm. um, seditions. Tradition, you know, whatever. Uh, fine, I'm guilty. But if they have to try this case, I think they're going to have trouble. Let me Meanwhile, take. A, let me let me to... take
1: a quick commercial break and have you flesh that out on the yeah, other side, well, if that's okay. Because there is this sure. weird thing that the January sixth committee, the House of Representatives January sixth committee, is trying to create a nexus with Donald Trump that the Department of Justice can't can't do if they want to continue to prosecute along the lines they have been prosecuted. It's it's. It's a fascinating, it's a fascinating contradiction. We'll be right back with more from Andrew McCarthy. I'm Seth Leibson. Don't go away. Andrew McCarthy, Andrew C. McCarthy, Senior Fellow at National Review Institute, former federal prosecutor and a contributing editor at National Review, is our guest. His piece in The Hill today, The Tale of Two sed- And he asked, we want to break. Do I have that basically legally correct? The Department of Justice is trying to avoid a nexus to Donald Trump's uh, uh, what inspiration cause catalyzing of of the events while the January 6th committee at the House of Representatives is trying to do the exact opposite. And if I if I am right, the Department of Justice isn't doing it because you can't have the president committing sedition against his own office i suppose
2: yeah that would be a tough one <laughs> okay I mean, it'd be very, All right. it, but but i'm following the logic is, right yeah right yeah no well, you absolutely are so the justice department doesn't want to put this in because it's it depends right right you know so they don't want to say they don't want to have a, a charging instrument that says that, that the the president directed people to attack Congress, because the president said the election was being stolen, because right. their defense then is, we weren't making war in the United States, we're trying to save the right. United States. Right. The right, right, right. So, but the, the, and of course, if you look at the Justice Department indictment set, Trump is not named as a defendant. He's not named as an unindicted co-conspirator. And the clear reason for that is they don't have a shred of evidence that there was a meeting of the minds between Trump and the Oath Keepers. Right. Um, or that, so know, he's legally – he's according or, to
1: the Department of Justice, he is legally further away from the January 6th melee or riot than Nixon was from Watergate.
2: Oh yeah, for sure. Nixon,
1: was, exactly. yeah, okay, all right. Nixon was closer to the Watergate yes. break-in than Je- than Donald Trump was to the House of Representatives break. Yes,
2: because okay, they, all right. They with, with Nixon, he knowingly, uh, you know, tried to help them after they did. Yeah, it, right? yeah,
1: yeah. So, and he was listed. I think he was put down as an unindicted co-conspirator, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Yeah, I don't remember that, although I don't
1: know. I don't remember if he ever tweeted that they were really beautiful people. All right. All right. Let's one. One of the things I did want to ask you um, is seditious conspiracy. This is a phrase we rarely hear it. I mean, you just rarely hear it. You have tremendous legal experience with it. Can can you give us the, the, the nutshell on what seditious conspiracy is?
2: Yeah, it's, um, it, it, the statute, it really is unfortunate that it's called seditious conspiracy because the word sedition is not in the charging language of the statute. It's only in the title. So people hear the title and they think, oh, the alien and sedition act right. is really bad. Right. I remember that was all. And in the meantime, so the word sedition, which is what gets people up, is, is whipped up, is not in the statute. And there's basically a few prongs of the statute, but what it essentially prohibits that are conspiracy inside the United States to levy war against the United States or to oppose the authority of the government by force okay and what that means is you have to like if I if I get into a fight with a, a federal police officer because like he made a pass at my wife um, and I, I smack him yeah that is not an attack on the United States I have to attack the United States it's it, Called attacking your government qua government. Yeah. In other words, I attack him because he is an agent of the United States. Right. Um, so that's what the. Statute so maybe firebombing a federal courthouse
1: for. might be seditious conspiracy.
2: Yeah, but um, it absolutely would be. Okay. Um, and could be, but they had they didn't invoke it with right. respect to that. Right. Uh, oddly enough, but uh, they want to do it with respect to this.
1: It, it, Andy is the January sixth committee. As you've been following it, whether formally, informally or otherwise, if, as you've been watching it unfold, I guess is the way to put it, is the January 6th committee effort at this point trying to just find guilt and complicity of Donald Trump. Is that what this is all about? Because I have to tell you, it seems to me if that's all they they have been trying to do, you know, they should they they. They should have been able to have done that by now. If that if that is under this pile of manure, if that exists, it I, seems to me that should have yeah, been I, done by now. Because I don't understand how you have hearings about something after all the indictments and arrests have been made. I just it usually goes the other way. Iran Contra hearings, then arrests and indictments. Same with other scandals.
2: Yeah, yeah. I you know, Seth. I, I don't think there's one answer to this because okay there's too many different players but in a nutshell what i would say is what i have called this is uh if it's to be properly understood it's an attempt to do the impeachment investigation that the that the congress was derelict in doing in january of 2021 that's this what it sounds an awful lot like
1: that same case it just sounds right. like the same argument yeah go ahead sorry go ahead
2: well not and not only not only that's that Seth, there's no you know a congressional committee is not a grand jury or a federal prosecutor. Prosecution and, and criminal investigation in our system are executive. Right. The only time Congress has real constitutional jurisdiction to, to investigate is when they're investigating high crimes and misdemeanors. Right. So to do what they're doing properly, I think they should transparently say that they're an impeachment committee. Right. Because that would make a lot more sense, but right. they, don't, they don't want to do that. And I think, you know, just quickly, I think the, the, the left and the Democrats, are trying to take attention away from how bad things are going for Biden. I mean, they could have done this, as you point out, they could have done this any time they picked now to do it. Um, and, you know, who, But who at this point, Trump's been out of office for, you know, a year and a half, and he can't affect events. So what's the point of doing this other than to, to attract attention? And I think Liz Cheney and, and Adam Kinzinger really think that Trump is terrible for the Republican Party and that, uh, they're they're just trying to clean the Augie stables. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's what's going on. Well, so I think it, there's all different motivations going on, but I think the one of the real reasons the, the Democrats are doing it is the left really wants it.
1: I think that's as good an analysis as any. Last question to you, Professor McCarthy. I said in a monologue earlier today that I don't think there's a federal court in the land, OK, I just don't, that would look at January 6th speech that Donald Trump gave and said that in any way. Beats the Brandenburg test for indictment incitement. Do you agree with me on that?
2: I not only agree with you, Seth. I think it's a, it's a good place to point out to people that the framers did not require a penal offense for impeachment. Perfect. So we could all watch that speech and say it was so irresponsible and reckless that it was impeachable in the sense that it was a violation of of his of his trust as president to to carry on that way. And it's still not a criminal offense because right. it's neither incitement nor insurrection. Perfectly so, stated. You know, I think it's a good example of what Hamilton meant by political offenses as yeah. opposed to penal offenses.
1: Yeah. Nice. Nicely done. Andy, love you, man. Thank you for everything. Thank you for everything you do and everything you Thanks, are. Bro. Appreciate your friendship. Good God bless and Godspeed. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Thank you for spending some of your afternoon with us. Uh, Portions of the show brought to you by Balance of Nature, pure, potent plant power, and it is pure, Balance of Nature. Fruits and veggies, 16 whole fruits, 15 whole vegetables, all the good stuff. I take it every single day. Keeps my health high, my immunity high, and my energy high. Can for you, too. Balanceofnature.com. Check out their fruits and veggies. It's an amazing product, favorite product I've ever taken. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Said it a little earlier, bears repeating. Happy birthday, Army, and thank you. Thank you. I quoted from Douglas MacArthur at the end of his famous Thayer Award speech. Duty, honor, country. He opened it by saying those three hallowed words reverently dictate what you ought to be, what you can be, and what you will be. They are your rallying points. To build courage when courage seems to fail. To regain faith when there seems to be little cause for faith and to create hope when hope becomes forlorn. Unhappily, I possess neither the eloquence of diction, the poetry of imagination, nor the brilliance of metaphor to tell you all that they mean, he said. The unbelievers will say they are but words, but a slogan, but a flamboyant phrase. Every pedant, every demagogue, every cynic, every hypocrite, every troublemaker, and I am sorry to say, Some others of an entirely different character will try to downgrade them, even to the extent of mockery and ridicule. But these are some of the things they do. They build your basic character. They mold you for future roles as the custodians of the nation's defense. They make you strong enough to know when you are weak and brave enough to face yourself when you are afraid. They teach you to be proud and unbending and honest failure. But humble and gentle in success, not to substitute words for actions, not to seek the path of comfort, but to face the stress, stress and spur of difficulty and challenge to learn to stand up in the storm, but to have compassion on those who fail. To master yourself before you seek to master others, to have a heart that is clean, a goal that is high, to learn to laugh, yet never forget how to weep, to reach into the future, yet never neglect the past. To be serious, yet never to take yourself too seriously. To be modest so that you will remember the simplicity of true greatness, the open mind of true wisdom, and the meekness of true strength. If that message were communicated to our college students today, rather than the pablum they get at their commencement speeches and in their entirety of their liberal arts educations, we would be a better country. We would be a better people. And it would be a better world. Because it's still, at the end of the day, all depends on America. And when I say it depends on America, that must mean it depends on Americans. And that means it depends on you. Thanks for doing this with me. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. Class is dismissed.